call me Rick, uh, Nick, and I am the pastor over at Oak Harbor Christian Reformed Church. My family and I uh, originally came from Puerto Rico on God's call almost eight years ago now. And we're almost closing in on a year serving here in Oak Harbor. It has been a privilege to get to know Pastor David and Sam over the past few months, and Linda, when I come over. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, I really want to thank you guys for the invitation. It is an honor for me to have been invited here today to share the word, and thank you for the humility that would allow me the honor of this pulpit. I hope to do it justice by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. David and Linda, we are here today in gratitude to God for his faithfulness to this church through your service over the past 29 years. Wow, I'm 37, bro. <laughs> Just trying to wrap my head around that. <laughs> we are here to celebrate 29 years of service. What a testament to God's goodness his grace, and his faithfulness. Before we begin, I just want to take a moment on behalf of the people you have invited me to serve to thank you for the times you have come to the end of your rope in ministry and taken it up again, for the times you have been discouraged and broken down and somehow found the grace to keep going. Thank you. For the times the enemy keeps finding ways to make you question yourself, your life choices, your future. Yet by the grace of God, thank you. Thank you. Brother and sister, may God in his abundance fill you both to overflowing tonight as he fills us from his word. Can we say amen? Amen. amen? So before we do, would you all pray with me? Our Father, would you open my lips tonight so that my mouth can declare your praise? Open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to encourage your word today, to engage your word today with the desire to be reshaped and reformed from the inside out. Jesus, may we be willing to ask ourselves hard questions today. May this space be one of humility and vulnerability toward the word and one another. One where we can see you and ourselves clearly and engage your life as the way forward. As we dive deep today into your word, give us the compassion, Lord, to see things with and in grace. Holy Spirit of God, give us the wisdom to see and how to engage our leaders. And also for leaders to walk away today with your perspective on who they are called to be. May we leave this place having learned from the gentle and lowly Savior who offers rest for tired and even burnt out souls. May we come to you today and not leave this place the same. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his kingdom's sake. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. So before we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 3, before we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm just going to give you a little bit of context about Corinth. The church at Corinth, you see, because usually we'll read the Bible and we have this tendency to read it like it's written to us. Don't get me wrong, church. The word is written for you. But a lot of these letters weren't written to you. Amen. <laughs> a lot of the word is written for us. It is written for you. What can we pick up? So when we look at scripture, and we're going to go to first Corinthians. Let's learn a little bit about the church at Corinth. Corinth 
wasn't your normal run-of-the-mill city. In fact, Corinth was very similar to a lot of things we would probably identify today in our own culture. Corinth was one of the major urban centers of the ancient Mediterranean and one of the most culturally diverse cities in the empire. Corinth had been a Roman colony for nearly a century, officially resettled by Romans long after its destruction. And both Greek and Latin cultures coexisted in this city, in the city of Corinth. Its citizen class, the working class, viewed itself as Roman and was proud of that Roman identity. Its location was on the Isthmus of Corinth and a short land route that really saved a lot of people the, the really dangerous journey of having to make it all the way up. Although a wide disparity between rich and poor characterized the Roman Empire generally, this problem, the class problem, was a real thing in Corinth, particularly in the Corinthian church. You see, because in Corinth... And in a lot of the New Testament mindset, roles were determined by status. People would look and see how you look like when you walked in the church, if you had the gold chain, if you got those nice kicks. Oh, that guy we got to treat extra special. Right? And you would see that very clearly in Corinth and in the Corinthian church. Not just that church, sexual promiscuity was pretty common part of Greek and Roman culture. But in Corinth, it was even more so, even more so, because its history of Greek moved into the Roman life as well. Its mercantile character church contributed to the presence of foreign religions and may have accelerated that level of promiscuity. Corinth was known for its prosperity. And the proverbial sexual looseness of ancient Greek Corinth seems to have continued in the Roman Corinth as well. And like I said before, church, in Corinth, roles were determined by social status. And those with wealth and power preferred religious, philosophical, and political ideologies that supported that base of power. Because if you're rich and people treat you nice, you want the rules to benefit that. Nobody knows what I'm talking about in here for sure. Obviously, you see, it's not a new church problem. It's been around for a long, 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 long time. We've been dealing with this problem for a long time. As a result, church, Paul would be focused on letting this church know that the unity of their body was so essential to their witness. I'm hearing you, David. And you will see it throughout the book of Corinthians. So long story short, once we get past the cultural and language differences, you'll see that the central issue in Corinthians was that people just did not get along. The Corinthian Christians' value were very much like those of most Christians today. They had their own social interests, which seemed natural from their own perspective. And yet Paul said, yo, the way you see church, the way you see people, change it. Change it. Change it. You're supposed to be seeing fellow servants. You're supposed to be seeing fellow collaborators, brothers and sisters. As a result, church, higher status members of the community in Corinth seem to have preferred a more rhetorically skilled speaker like Apollos. Apollos had fine words to say. 
was very close to a lot of this Greco-Roman and was really good at formulating his words while others, and by the way, um, they not only preferred Apollos, they shared the values of their peers and they hoped to reach with the gospel these same people that were like them, right? Because social classes don't want to reach to those below them, right? We want people that look like us, smell like us, dress like us. Come on. This goes back to what we were saying about taking a hard look at ourselves as the church, right? Others who shared the values of their peers, who, who would hope that the, uh, that the gospel w- would reach their style of people, manual labors in the church, however, appreciated a voluntary lower status kind of teacher like Paul was. He was a more down-to-earth style in his teaching. He was a working teacher like Paul, and even if his personal delivery maybe left something to be desired. I mean, Paul wasn't the the nicest looking guy to look at for what it's worth, historically speaking. And from what you might learn, historically speaking, wasn't the necessarily best preacher ever either. Couldn't keep our attention. Might have fallen asleep. In fact, there's a story about Paul preaching and a do fall asleep and fall out the window. You know how I remember his name? Because Eutychus too, if you fell out that window. His name is Eutychus. I'm not kidding. His name's Eutychus. Anyway, sorry, moving on. Uh, so... Sorry, horrible pastor jokes. Y'all should be used to this. All right, anyway, sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. (laughs) But long story short of 1 Corinthians, well, the long story short of the book, the church in almost every generation struggles with including people at the table they don't believe belong there. Hmm? Jews thought Gentiles needed circumcision to belong. Gentiles thought the Jews needed to be less Jewish about everything. Jews thought Romans being proud about being Roman was hurtful and made it difficult for some of them to be a part of something that seemed to welcome the oppressor. Don't worry, I'll wait for that to hit. You're a Jewish person. The Romans have been oppressing you for how long? And now I'm supposed to love this guy? Some people were all about how different teachers fit their styles and turned it into a competition between them. You'll see in our passage today, some people were team Apollos, the Greek silver-tongued orator that seemed to fit the tastes and the styles of the richer classes within the church, while the working class preferred a more down-to-earth approach like team Paul's. Paul had some words to share with the church at Corinth, which we can learn from and grow from today. With all this context in mind now, let's, du- let's dive into 1 Corinthians 3, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. I'll be reading from the New Revised in case somebody's wondering, and apologies if that bothers me. <laughs> um, and so, brothers and sisters, whew. brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as a spiritual people, but rather as fleshly As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now, you're still not ready, for you are still fleshly. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not fleshly? And behaving according to your human inclinations. Church. Church. You know, usually I was taught this passage, that this passage was about 
unbelievers that just became Christians. This passage was always taught to me that this was about new believers. Church, hear me. This is not about new believers. This passage is not about new believers. You can be years in church and be the biggest baby in the house. Hear it from the biggest mouth baby in the house. Because <laughs> I got to tell you, church, you know how Paul measures maturity? You know how Paul measures the mark for Paul? The mark for maturity for Paul in this passage is how people see their leaders. Read it. Look, 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 look at this. He says, I, I can't treat you as, uh, you know, as grown-up kids giving you solid food. I fed you with milk, not solid food. You weren't ready. Now you still aren't ready for you still are in the flesh. Why? Because as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not, are you not whew, behaving fleshly and behaving according to human inclinations? Then look at the example he gives. For some of you say, I follow Paul. And some of y'all say, I follow Apollo. You see the example Paul's giving? He says, immature, immature Christians do teams. Immature Christians do teams in church. Immature Christians make leadership about how their leadership style fits my purposes. Or how their leadership style fits the way I like them to preach or how I like them to talk to me. Church, don't misunderstand me. There's a lot of leaders that abuse their position and I'm not, I'm not, believe me, I'm here for that. But church, too many of us, just way too many of us come to church with the mindset that I'm here for the pastor to feed me, take care of me, heal me, fix me. Bro, I'm trying to heal and fix and grow. Paul had some words for the word. Paul had some words for the church at Corinth. He says, "Some of you say I belong to Paul. Some of you say I belong to Apollos. Is that not also fleshly?" He says. Then look what he says. What then is Apollos? What are leaders, church? What are your leaders for? Who are they? What do they really mean? What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, he says. Servants through whom you came to believe. And man, if you got a Bible, mark it. Who the Lord assigned you to. I don't like that, Pastor. I don't like the way he preached. I don't like it that every time he says something, it's like he's talking to me. You've heard it many times, right? He says, what then is Apollos? They are servants. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and each will receive wages according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers, co-laborers. I'm looking for the hierarchy in that. For we are God's co-workers working together. For you are God's field. God's building. 
And so according to the grace God gave to me, he says, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each builder choose with care how to build on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has already been laid. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. And now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, and here's our verse for this evening, the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So church, I want to break down this passage into two main sections. Verses 1 to about verse 9 and 10 will deal with um, God's, uh, sorry, Paul's heart for the church, Paul's heart for the members of the church, and then he's going to zoom into Paul's hearts for leaders in verses 10 through 13. So I'm just going to pick up a few things Paul has in mind for the church as he sets up what his heart is for leaders. You're with me, church? So 1 Corinthians 3, from verse 1, you notice immediately that Paul's connection is made between fleshly and being immature. He compares people who fight and are jealous with each other as examples of following human inclinations with immature infant and innocent children. Right? Because if he makes examples that they're babes and they're kids. Right? Why don't you know how to count? Right? You can't blame him for being a baby. Now, here's a little lesson here for leaders, too. Sometimes we expect the babies to know how to talk. Sometimes we expect the babies to know how to walk. Sometimes we expect the babies to know how to do all this stuff. But if you notice from verse 1, Paul said, I give you soft food. You know what that means, leaders? You got to deal with the individual needs. Sometimes you got to make food soft. And there's a big old spectrum between soft and solid. You with me? And so Paul is bringing over here. He's saying, notice these connections. He's saying sometimes people's spiritual immaturity isn't their fault. It's just probably not their time yet. How many of us, how many of us have been in a season in our lives where we see no fruit in our lives? And we come to the tree expecting fruit and walk away mad. What a useless tree. People, if it ain't time for fruit, you're growing. If it ain't time for fruit, you're still growing. You with me? And sometimes, search, in our interactions with our leaders or our leaders with us, we forget that kind of relationship. Paul then connects, get this church, he says, get this, even though some kids have a problem and never seem to grow up, because you see him say that, he says, you know, I've been serving soft food to you, and even now you're still not ready, right? So he is saying that there is, there are times when even we as leaders, we hope that people grow, but hey, there are times that people take longer than you think, because it's in God's time. It's in God's time. Look what else. Paul then connects the spiritual immaturity in the body of Christ with how the individual members saw their leaders through their own lens as consumers. You see that? Babies needing food to eat. 
When we view our leaders through the lens of the consumer, we are not only doing them a disservice, but showing our immaturity. Paul is saying here, he says the mark of spiritual immaturity is the people who expect the leaders to do everything for them. Is the people who expect a whole different thing, see leaders as a completely different thing. Y'all with me, church? Paul's heart for the church is to see their leaders properly and that that is the mark of a mature believer. You with me? Something else, church. Look what he says in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through which you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. Oh, church, hear me. God assigns leaders for the season you are in. So do try not to measure your leader by your season. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of leaders that abuse this stuff, okay? I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about godly leaders. You with me? I'm talking about godly leadership. And Paul is teaching here. He says that if God put a godly leader in your life, that is the leader for that season. That is the leader for your season. Church, God has put leaders in your life for your season. You with me? Something else. Notice, church, if we look at Scripture, the thread, the common thread you'll see from Genesis all the way into John and all the way into Revelation is that God's desire was to dwell with mankind, to dwell with humanity. Genesis chapter 1, the Garden of Eden is a picture of the temple. You go to the temple, there's pictures of Eden in there too. You'll you'll go over to Jeremiah and see pictures of the temple and God saying that there's water flowing out of this temple that fills the whole world because this is where God lives. Then you go to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word became flesh and what? Dwelled. Lived with us. You fast forward to Revelation 21. What does it say? At the very end when everybody's celebrating and all together, there's a voice from heaven that says, look God's dwelling is now with humans. And when we look at this passage, church, if we take a closer look here, we will see that the job of the leader is to do that for their church, is to be that incarnation of God's love for their church. That is the call of a leader, to incarnate the love of God for their church the way Jesus incarnated the love of God for his bride. You know why? Because leaders are co-laborers with the bridegroom. So church, finally, and I'm almost done here. Notice church how for Paul, the mark of spiritual maturity was being able to see your leaders properly, to see them in verse 1 as brothers and sisters, verse 5 as servants with assigned individuals, as workers who work for a wage. Did you know that? All of a sudden, the brakes are like, you know, right? Right? Like, if you're listening to music, it's like, boom, boom, and, and then like, 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 like the DJ scratch, like, you know, kind of thing. Like, all of a sudden, like, it stopped. What? Like, workers were, yeah. Like, workers working for a wage. You know what? Did you know that our work's going to get evaluated, too? We not only work for a wage, but we also get evaluated, too. 
But here's something church folks forget. They think it's them that does the evaluating. I'm going to tell you what Paul says does the evaluating. And it's good news for leaders, church. It's good news for leaders. So I want to close today, church, with Paul's heart for leaders. We're going to start from verse 9 here and just uh, kind of zoom into verse 13. Then he says, for we are God's co-workers working together. For you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a wise master builder, that's the job, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else builds on it. Let each builder choose with care how to build it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. And now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the worker of each builder, sorry, the work of each builder will become visible. For the day will disclose it and it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. We're going to zoom in and I'm done. Church Christ 